Good morning, everyone. Welcome. I look around and I see it must be Labor Day. <laughs> I am glad that you are here this morning and we welcome you uh, and, and hope that God's going to bless in a very special way as we share this time of fellowship and, in, and of worship with each other. Let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets uh, on each row. We'd like to ask if you wouldn't mind to take those and fill them out so we could have a record of your attendance with us this morning. Also, go ahead and check in on your smartphones. Uh, let people know that you're here today. And just to bring you up to speed on some um, announcements that we have, uh, we are continuing our Quest Bible study on Thursday nights. There's information in the bulletin about that. So uh, if you'd like to... <coughs> Excuse me. If you'd like to be a part of that, please uh, uh, be here on Thursday. Also, uh, next Sunday, we're going to be having a youth and, and children's fellowship uh, time on Sunday evening. So uh, put that on your calendar and, and be here Sunday at 5 and uh, have a good time and a lot of fun and good food and, and share that time. Also put on your calendar our church picnic, which will be at Audubon State Park on September the 23rd. Uh, that's always a, a highlight of ours. And we are also prepping for our uh, Highway 60 yard sale. And uh, we are, uh, I think they, they're about to begin pricing things. Uh, if they haven't, ar- haven't already, they're, uh, we're still collecting things to sell in the yard sale. So if you want to clean out your closet and bring some things by the church, uh, we will accept that and sell those. Um, and um, all the money will go towards uh, emissions projects here at Communi- Community Baptist Church. And understand we're going to be having uh, some kettle corn uh, for sale this year. And we will be doing some pre-sales of that. Thank you, Rudy. For that's Rudy's an expert at that. He he does a great job. But we'll be gonna, we'll be doing some pre-sales of that uh, probably beginning next week when we get our our form together and we'll pass those out so you can uh, you can sell those ahead of time and then we'll have some also to sell during the um, um, uh, the yard sale. Uh, so we got lots lots going on here and uh, it's good to to share this time together. Of course, we are, we remember uh, Nina Hall, uh, our dear saint, who has left us this this week and uh, gone to be with the Lord. Her uh, funeral will be Tuesday uh, at 11 o'clock, and we keep the halls in our prayers. Let us stand and let us uh, greet each other in the name of the Lord.
prayer. Let us pray together. Gracious God, we offer thanks for this day and for the opportunity to be here together to worship a holy God. During this time, may we be able to put aside the concerns of our daily lives. Let us let go of all of the demands that crowd upon us and simply be present in your spirit. We offer you prayers of thanksgiving for life and all of those things that make life good. We don't have to look far to be amazed by the beauty of your creation. We offer gratitude for the abundance and fertility of the earth. But help us, O God, not to take this abundance and beauty for granted. Help us as we work to maintain the health and the beauty of the earth for generations to come. Help us also as we seek to make this good earth a safe home for all of your children. We confess that even though your earth is abundant and fruitful, many of your children live in poverty and want. And we know from your words through your prophets and apostles that this is not your will. This is not your purpose. So give us the gift of hope as we work to do your will so that all people might share in the good things of your creation. We bring to you our concerns for peace in our community and in our world. We bring to you our concerns for those suffering from sickness, from grief, and any circumstance that may diminish our abundant lives. We bring before you our personal concerns for ourselves and for our families. And we ask for the strength to face the hard realities of our world and to stand as you did with the vulnerable, the victims of violence and injustice, and those who live on the margins of life. And we come to you, O God, with great joy that we are here today, gathered together in your presence. We worship you. And we are here, O God, to listen for your voice. Speak to us. Amen.
Let us pray. And he looked upon and saw the rich putting their gift into the treasury. And he also saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put more in than all of you. For all these out of for all of these of their abundance have put in their offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood she had. Dear God, let us as individuals and let us as a nation remember that the greatest way to show faith in you is to give when we think we feel we have nothing left to give. Knowing and having faith that you will take these gifts and offerings and provide provide for us and bless and bless us. Bless these offerings today, O oh Lord, and let them work wonders in our community. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Scripture reading comes from the chapter of Mark. Book of Mark, sorry. Um, Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. 
for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they, are thir- unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe. The washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah, um, prophesy, I can't say this word, prophesy, <laughs> uh, rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Then he, called the, then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in you can defile. But the things that come out are what defile. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. This is the word of the Lord. I want to share a song with you today that uh, I first heard kind of in an unusual setting. Uh, uh, Alice Culver and I, we take a Zumba class together. And Linda Wathen, she teaches the class here in town. It's at the Presbyterian Church. We meet a couple of times a week, and when we get together, uh, Linda, she's a hugger. She's always hugging everybody. Uh, We get together, and she asks if we have prayer requests, and we pray over those requests together. And there's several ladies I know in my group that probably that's the only prayer they hear during the week, and that might be the only hug that they receive during the week. And uh, this is a song that a lot of times she'll play at the very end of the class. That we actually do a cool down to this song. And uh, the, I just love it. I, just, I think it's just a beautiful song. And it talks about the sacrifices that Christ made for us. And uh, I really look up to Linda because she is willing to share her faith through teaching the exercise class, but through also taking time to incorporate God into that class. And so often we just don't look for those places outside of church where we can share our faith and our beliefs. And sometimes it makes a big difference to those around us if we take time to do that.
What a beautiful song. Thank you, Christine. Thank you so much. And a beautiful message, too. Our Roman Catholic friends celebrate uh, a feast day known as Corpus Christi, which is the feast of the body and blood of Christ. And in some countries, like, uh, like in Ireland, this is a very important celebration. In many communities, they have a Corpus Christi procession through the streets of their, of their villages, of their towns. And altar boys will go ahead of the procession and, and ring bells to alert the faithful that the procession is coming near. And the people will come out of their houses and kneel on the side of the road and cross themselves as the Holy Eucharist passes by. Well, there's a priest here in America that tells about some recent Irish immigrants who had just arrived here in the United States and were unpacking their belongings when suddenly they heard the bells ringing outside of their home. And so following the tradition which they were accustomed to, the whole family immediately stopped what they were doing. They went outside, they knelt on the sidewalk and crossed themselves just as the good humor ice cream truck went by. Well, I suppose for some people eating ice cream can be a religious experience. But let's talk for a few moments about the power of tradition. Mark tells us that some Pharisees and teachers were gathered around Jesus when they saw something that offended them. It seems that they saw something, uh, they, they saw their disciples were eating without first going through the, the ceremonial ritual of washing their hands. Now this was not a matter, a matter of hygiene here. These, the people of that time knew nothing about germs or viruses or bacteria or anything like this. This was purely and simply a matter of religious tradition. And so the Pharisees and teachers asked Jesus, why don't your, your disciples eat, live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with the defiled hands? And that's a fair question. Why didn't the disciples keep this tradition? I mean, they, like Jesus, were devout Jews. They obviously kept other traditions of their faith. And so why, why not this one? And we need to remember that tradition was a very important part of the Jewish community. In fact, I think it could safely be said that it has been their fondness for tradition that has allowed the Jewish community to survive all of these millennia. We need to remember that through much of their history, the Jewish people have been a persecuted minority. And it has been their traditions that have served as a a key ingredient in maintaining their identity as a people. This is how they have been able to demonstrate their Jewishness. A father would instruct his sons. A daughter would would guide her daughters. A, A mother would guide her daughters and... There were certain things that you could eat and others that you could not eat. There were rules governing your relationships within the family and, and as well as with outsiders. And all of these rules were the basis for a vibrant and cohesive community. I don't think I can talk about the traditions of Judaism without bringing up that great musical fiddler on the roof. 
you probably already knew I was going to go there. The story of this musical is set in 1905 in a small Jewish village in Russia. The main character of the story is Tevi, a father of five daughters who struggles to maintain his Jewish traditions within his family. For example, he, he has to cope with the strong will of his, old, his three oldest daughters who want to marry for love rather than having their marriages arranged for them by their parents, which was their tradition. And unfortunately, each one of their daughter's choices for husbands moved the family further away from the customs of their faith. For Tabby, tradition was everything. It told him how to eat. It told him how to, to sleep and how to wear his clothes. In his village, uh, the men always kept their heads covered with hats and they wore a little prayer shawl to, to show their devotion to God. And, and so because of their traditions, everyone knew who they were and what they believed. And there is a certain comfort by living by traditions, isn't there? We all have them. There's a sense of order and security that comes from following our traditions. But for a group such as the Jews living in a hostile world, these traditions became the only way for them to survive as a community. And still, they were not always successful. Even Tevi is threatened beyond his comprehension when his youngest daughter asks for his approval to marry horror of horrors, an atheist. On this he could not compromise. He loudly proclaims, some things I will not, I cannot allow. Tradition. Many of us can understand how he feels. While others of us would probably feel smothered by these restrictions. But the truth is that considering all of the persecution that the Jewish community has experienced through, through thousands of years, they probably would not have survived if it had not been for their traditions. Rabbi Alan Tufts tells a beautiful story that comes from World War II. It's a good example of the value of tradition. It's about a private Winnegar who was a soldier in the U.S. Army as it marched through Europe at the end of the war. Winnegar's unit was assigned to a certain European village, and they had the orders to secure the town and to search for any hiding Nazis and help the villagers in any way that they could. Well, Winnegar was on patrol one night, and he saw a figure running through a field, and he, so he shouted at the figure, Halt or I'll shoot! And the figure ducked behind a tree, and so Winnegar waited. Eventually the figure came out, and thinking that Winnegar had gone, the figure went to a, a spot near a large tree and started to dig. And Winnegar waited until the figure finished his digging, and before he stepped out once again, shouting, Stop! Halt! Or I'll shoot! But the figure ran. So Winnegar gave chase and tackled this person to the ground. To his surprise, he discovered he had captured a young boy. And the boy dropped a beautiful, ornate menorah when he tackled the boy. 
You've seen the menorah. It's a nine-branched candelabra lit during the Jewish festival of Hanukkah. And so Winnegar picked up the menorah and the boy tried to grab it back, shouting, Give it back! It's mine! And so Winnegar assured the boy that he was among friends, that he himself was Jewish. This young boy who had just survived several years of the Holocaust and had been a prisoner in a concentration camp, he did not trust anyone in a uniform. He had been forced to watch the shooting of his own father. He had no idea where his mother was. Well, in the weeks that followed, Winnegar took the young boy, whose name was David, under his wing. They became quite close. And finally, Private Winnegar offered David the opportunity to come back to New York City with him. And David accepted. Winnegar went through all the necessary paperwork and officially adopted David as his son. Winnegar was an active part of the Jewish community in New York City, and one of his acquaintances was the curator of the Jewish museum there. And his acquaintance saw the menorah, and and he told David that it was a very valuable, historic menorah and, and should be shared with the entire Jewish community. And so he offered David the huge sum of $50,000 for it. But David refused, saying that this menorah had been in his family for over 200 years and that no amount of money could make him sell it. But when Hanukkah came around, David and Winnegar lit the menorah in the window of their apartment. David went upstairs to do some homework and Winnegar stayed downstairs when suddenly there was a knock on the door. And when, he, when Winnegar answered the door, he found a woman standing there with a strong German accent who said that she was walking down the street and she saw this menorah in the window. She said that she had had one in her own family just like it, but she'd never seen one, another one like it. And so, so she asked if she could come in and take a closer look. So Winnegar invited her in, said that the menorah belonged to his son, who could probably tell her more about it. So Winnegar called up for, to, for David to come down and talk to this woman. And that's how David was reunited with his mother. He was reunited with his mother because he faithfully kept the traditions of his people. Tradition had been the glue that kept the Jewish community together for centuries. And the Pharisees treasured their traditions. And what's wrong with that? I mean, tradition can be a wonderful unifying force. Traditions can help help us hold on to our past. But some of us can be pretty hypocritical in our condemnation of tradition keepers. I heard about a non-observant Jewish woman who no longer kept the traditions of her faith and looked down upon those who did. She was visiting Philadelphia when she was riding on a bus and a few stops later a man with a wide-brimmed black hat and a white shirt, long black coat, black pants, black shoes and a long curly black beard got on the bus and sat across from her. The woman looked at the man with disgust, 
said, Jews like you give us all a bad name. And so he looked at her with a puzzled expression and said, I beg your pardon, pardon, ma'am. She said, look at you. All in black. A beard. Never take off your hat. It's Jews like you that give the rest of us a problem. And so he calmly looked at her and said, I beg your pardon, madam. But I'm not Jewish. I'm Amish. (laughs) The woman smiled at him and said, How nice you've kept your customs. She could accept an Amish person who maintained his traditions, but when her own people did the same thing, she looked down on them. The fact is that tradition is a mighty force in our lives. It's important. It's important in our worship. It's important in our celebrations. It's important in the ways we conduct our business and in the ways that we judge what is acceptable and what is not. We all have our family traditions, don't we? We all do. We have our Baptist traditions. We have traditions that are unique to Community Baptist Church. You have traditions that are unique to your own family or some other organization that you may be a part of. Tradition helps us to discover meaning in our lives and it helps to give substance and form to our lives. So you see, it's no wonder that the Pharisees and teachers asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? instead of eating their food with defiled hands. Traditions are important. However, (laughs) other side of the coin. For some reason, this question asked at this particular moment touched a sore spot with Jesus. And he replied that Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, talking to the Pharisees and the the, uh, teachers. And then he quoted Isaiah who said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to human traditions. Wow. That's a strong rebuke of the Pharisees' faith. Could it be that in Jesus' eyes, these traditions that the Pharisees and the teachers maintained in their lives, could it be that, that he thought they, these traditions had moved beyond a practice that binds people together and had become so important in their lives that they had taken on an idolatrous significance for them? We're told that the Babylonian Talmud, which dealt with the traditions of the Jews, comprised no less than 60 volumes, 60 books, all about the traditions. Folks, any good thing can be taken too far. And even worse, there is a sense in which we can keep God 
at arm's length through the use of our traditions. And we think that as long as we follow our traditions, we're good with God. And we can keep other people at a distance as well. People that God would, ha- would have us to love and to care for. But that tradition tells us that we should avoid. And when that happens, when we get too comfortable with our rituals, with our procedures, with the, our ways of doing things, we are no longer open to the liberating movement of God's Spirit. And we are not open to God's call to serve others. And that's when God remains on our lips, but not in our hearts. For the Pharisees, religion was mostly an external thing. It was a badge of of accomplishment, not a gift of grace. It was a means of dividing society into layers of those who followed tradition and those who didn't. Those who were acceptable in their sight and those who were not. Religious traditions have often been used to put people down rather than lift them up. They've been used to tell us who we can and cannot love instead of telling us that we can love all people. And all of this was what Jesus meant when He said that the Pharisees had God on their lips but not in their hearts. And of of course, the Pharisees are not the only people who have been guilty of having God on our lips but not in our hearts. In fact, some of the most evil people who have, who have ever lived had God on their lips. Historians tell us about one politician who had God on his lips. Indeed, he often used the language of religion in his speeches. He courted the religious establishment. He sought and received their blessings. He talked about the blessings of the Almighty and how Christian principles would become the pillars of His government. He handed out pious stories to the press. He showed the public His tattered Bible and declared that He drew great strength from His work, for His work from this holy book. Thousands of pious Christians welcomed him as a man sent by God. His name? Adolf Hitler. Historians tell us that Hitler was a master of outward religiosity, but there was no inward reality. God was on his lips, but not in his heart. And here's the thing. Jesus knew that just because someone says all the right things, it does not mean that their hearts are in the right place. And of course, that could be true of each of us as well. It is a great temptation of people in any religion. In fact, it has happened so often in our faith that there are people all over this world who would love to have an authentic faith relationship with Jesus Christ, but they have seen too many Christians whose character is nothing like Christ's character. 
They have God on their lips, but not in their hearts. Now, I know that this may sound judgmental, but that doesn't mean it's not true. Many people who call themselves Christians do not follow Jesus at all. They do not seek after His love, His compassion, His commitment to give a better life to all people. Do we? Do you? Or are we just satisfied with looking like a Christian? Keeping the traditions of our faith, but not following the Spirit of our Lord. Tradition can be a wonderful thing, but it becomes destructive when we use it as a means of looking like a follower instead of being a follower of Jesus. So how about you? Where is God? Is God at the center of your heart? Is God the one who determines your attitude towards other people? Or is it it your tradition? Your religious tradition? Your political tradition? Your social tradition? Have you turned God into an excuse for your attitudes because you blindly followed the traditions that you followed for all of your life? Or are you open to following following the liberating Spirit of God to move beyond tradition to follow the Lord of love? When you read in 1 John 4, 8, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. What does that mean to you? Can you honestly say that you know the God whose name and whose nature is love? Or is God simply on your lips and not in your hearts? We all have our traditions that are sacred to us, and that's okay. Let's just not use them to look down on others whose traditions are not our traditions. Instead, let us focus on the God who who is at the center of our traditions. And let us imitate the God whom we have encountered in Jesus Christ. The God whose very nature and whose very name is love. If you say you love your brothers, if you say you love God but do not love your brothers or your sisters, we are told in the Scriptures that you're a liar. God is love. And that means that God's people are to be people of love. Let us not let our traditions stand in the way of love. Amen. Let us sing our closing hymn, Just As I Am. I hope that this is a song that we can sing for our own selves.
But I hope this is also a song that we can sing recognizing that it's not just as I am, but it's just as everybody else is also. It is easy for us to come to God and say, God, I come to you just as I am. Have mercy on me. But it is much harder to look upon somebody else and say, but not that guy. I want you to have mercy on me, but not that guy. He's too bad. His traditions don't line up with mine. Now, I'm not part pointing at John. No. <laughs> But you know what? Traditions can sometimes get in the way. So let us sing just as I am. And let us think just as everybody else is also. Because that's how we all come to God. Just as we are. Without one plea. Let's sing. go forth not content to enjoy a time of worship and communion with God and with God's saints, but propelled into the world to follow the teachings of our Lord. Let us go forth not forgetting the life that Christ has called us to live, but actively engaging those that many would consider unworthy in deeds of love and mercy and compassion and unity. Let us go and be the presence of Christ in this world that needs us. And we will be blessed in our going. Amen.